Welcome to Auto Off Topic. How are you tonight, Brad? I'm uh, I'm very tired. I don't know yeah. if it's my lack of sleep or if it's my neighbor who is incessantly working on his Ford Explorer with no mufflers and uh, barely running right, and it smells like putrid exhaust in my house right now. Oh. So it could be a combination of both. I am tired, but my neighbor is also slowly killing me. Okay. Through, through the one thing we love the most, cars. Mm. It's not cool, man. Uh, we all have that one neighbor, and if you don't have that neighbor, you probably are that neighbor. Well, the good news is, is I'm not that neighbor. Dude, I have like two neighbors with really loud trucks, automatic pickup trucks with loud exhaust. So this is not an automatic pickup truck with loud exhaust. This is a manual transmission. Um, a third gen Ford Explorer. All right, it gets passed. Um, it's but it's but it doesn't have exhaust. Like it doesn't have straight pipes. It just doesn't have exhaust. It's it just has open headers. That's weird because it wouldn't have rotted out there. I don't know. No, they don't rot here. It's got so let's. I'll I'll, I'll give you the rundown of the car. The dumps. It doesn't have anything. It has it has exhaust manifolds that just are open, and it runs like crap because it doesn't have anything. Oh, no O2 sensors or anything. no O2 sensors or anything. It dumps out raw exhaust. It's super loud. He leaves here at red line every time he leaves. So it's a so I I want to say it's like a I think it's a third gen. I think they were so it's like a two thousand ninety nine two thousand four like somewhere in that range. So it's kind of rounded, but not. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got no fenders. It's got no front bumper. It's lifted probably, I don't know, four or five inches. Yeah, it sounds like a Phoenix truck. It has like 30, I guess probably 33s, I guess, based on looking at them. Um, the offset is obviously wrong because, you know, that's what you do out here. Um, it has the... And I'm not going to get political here. It has a giant Trump flag on the back, but it's not a typical just like Trump flag. It's like a portrait of Trump holding a machine gun. So it's obnoxious no matter who it's supporting. Um, and it it's it's just it's yeah. So it's him and his friend, his two friends, one with a equally straight piped four liter Ford, but this time a Ranger. Um, with the, what do you call it? Like pre-runner fenders, the big wide fenders in the front. Mm-hmm. And their other friend with a Yamaha single cylinder, like XV, what is that? XV 600 or 650, like wannabe Harley kind of looking bike. Or, it's like a, or Suzuki Savage or one of those like small metric Japanese kind of cruiser bikes. And they're all just either manifold, dumped, or straight piped. And every one of them leaves the house that they live in. Foot to the floor, red line shifts every time. Obnoxious. I don't understand it. I don't... Like, we always had loud cars, but you at least wait till you're, like, a block away before you open it up, right? Like, (laughs) you don't want to be that guy. Mm. So, anyway... Old man rant over. Um, every neighborhood has that one guy, and that one guy's not me. So he's also like 19, so that's probably a lot to do with it. 
Yeah, probably. But whatever. What am I going to do? He came over to me one day when I had the Sapporo in the yard. I don't know if I was washing it or doing something to it. And he walks up and he's looking at it. He has no idea what it is, quite obviously. Um, and he looks at it and he goes, huh, why didn't you get one with a manual? And I was just like, I, are you, what, what's your point here? Like, are you making fun of me for having an automatic car? Like, do you want to go find one with a manual? Cause it's, it's not like, it's not like I had a choice. And I was like, well, man, when you're into like vintage cars, you buy what you can find. Like you buy the best one you can find. You don't search for the manual one. Like if I want to swap it, maybe eventually I will, but. How about my other 10 cars that are manuals? Yeah. Like everything I own is manual except for this. This is not a performance car. This is just my round town touring car or cross country touring car as it was for a while. But anyway, that's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a weird thing. It's probably because that I'm now old and he is still young and I don't understand it, but whatever. It's loud. It came home on a tow truck like three days ago and it hasn't run. So it's been nice, but he just got it started. <laughs> he just got it started about, I don't know, two hours ago. And, uh, He's been revving the snot out of it as it bumbles and burbles and spits exhaust out. So anyway, so yeah, I'm tired. I don't know if that's yeah. it or what, but that's it's probably not helping. Mm-mm. Also, I'm drinking a hard seltzer, which is also probably not helping. But. Mm, I have a uh, scotch whiskey tonight because that's just what I have in the cabinet. And well, that would definitely put me to sleep. The The bottle's been hanging around for a while, so I was like, yeah, I might as well finish it. It's almost almost empty. Actually, it's the bottle. It's the 70-year-old stuff that I bought right before my wedding that we all had like oh, yeah. before. A long time ago. So, yeah, it's just a little bit left, so I was like, yeah, I might as well finish it. Well, I don't have a 17-year-old anything. I have a, a Bud Light Seltzer, which is the official drink of 17-year-olds. Yeah. So... <laughs> I'm I'm kind of in the same vein, right? Actually, I you laugh because I, I would never buy a Bud Light or a Budweiser product ever in the past, as you are well aware. Um, oh yeah, this whole seltzer thing kind of came out of nowhere, and you know, it was uh, what was it? White Claw was the first one that came out. Yeah, and it's there's gross. some better ones though. There's some way better ones. Yeah, White Claw is gross. Um, so we've tried a couple of different ones, and there's some really good ones. And the most consistent and cheap one to buy. <laughs> is the Bud Light Seltzer. And I'm telling you, Andrew, it's it's real good. I meant to look for it, or I tried to in the summer. They didn't have it at my local place down the street. They've been having like, it's like the Boston Beverage Company or something, which is owned by, you know, um, Sam Adams. And yeah, they, 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 do, with, uh, they do a lot of their smaller sodas, like the cane sodas and stuff too, don't they? Yeah, and they had partnered with Polar to do a hard seltzer, hmm. and and those were okay. But they, the problem with the hard seltzers, is they can kind of get into a point where they taste like grain alcohol. Yeah, and, and they're not very flavorful, so it's a fine line. And and honestly, some of the best results I've had is to just buy a decent bottle of vodka and just mix it with seltzer and ice. Oh yeah, absolutely. But if you want a, a canned seltzer. Yeah, you know, this the the Bud Light seltzer and subsequently the Coors Light seltzer because I'm pretty sure it's the same fluid, just in a different can. Um, the flavors are really good. It's it's the closest I've had to 
I don't want to compare it to a polar seltzer, but it's the closest I could compare to something like that. Like I can drink it as a seltzer and it's delicious. So yeah, because that's the thing with polar seltzers. A lot of the flavors work well as mixers. Yeah. So like I I've I've actually also have a ginger lime mule one next to me, which works well if you uh, mix it with the components of a mule to kind of thin it out, and you have a little lower calorie mule, but you still get the flavor. Oh, that's good. And the same with, uh, I've taken it like, uh, if you want to make it like an old fashioned, you can mix in like their cranberry clementine into it instead of like, uh, and, and, you know, omit like the simple syrup or whatever, and that would make it sweet. Well, that's what sold, that's what sold me on the, on the Bud Light seltzers originally was, um, those social club seltzers that I like a lot. The ones mm-hmm. that are, they do taste like an old fashioned or, you yeah. know, some of the other drinks, you know, um, I, I learned that they were an Anheuser-Busch product, and I was surprised. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, I'll give one of their seltzers a try. And we gave their Bud Light seltzer a try when it showed up at our local grocery store, like, on sale. And uh, it turned out being pretty good, so it became a thing. So, And I was just handed a coffee. So somebody, somebody, must, somebody, somebody must know that I'm tired or heard me saying I was tired and brought my coffee into me. Nice. So, yeah. Hey. Excellent. Maybe, I, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll make it through this thing after all. It's uh, peppermint mocha season, so I already had mine. Uh, no, it's pumpkin season till it's gone, my friend. Yeah. Listen, I'm drinking a Bud Light seltzer and a ice, a pumpkin iced coffee, so you can make fun of me all you want right now, <laughs> and get it out of your way because basic bread. Listen, I need to keep my my New England street cred and have some pumpkin stuff while I'm sitting here in my flannel. So I'm from Boston. Did you know that guy? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a Phoenix native. Oh, I, I love. I think our I think our listeners are aware of that. Do they play those same Adams commercials out there? Yeah, guy. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty good. You're, you're a cousin from yeah. Boston. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, they didn't play them out here. It's it's funny. I, I don't know if we've, if we've talked about this before, but since moving out here, I never really noticed the accent as much on people from New England until you're away from it. Yeah. And on myself, like I was, you know, we'll talk about later who I was hanging out with last night because it was car related. But at one point they just stopped and looked at me like I was an idiot because <laughs> apparently I said Honda. Oh, and yeah. It's just a natural thing for me to say sometimes is Honda instead of Honda. And uh, Honda, yeah. pizza. <laughs> you drop the A and add an R and that's what I did. And uh, it was blatantly obvious to them, but I didn't even notice I did it. But I, I actually have a coworker who's from Brockton. Out here in Phoenix. Yeah. So we, we got along really good right away because we both had that same, like, you know, I'm from the North Shore. He's from the South Shore. We got this whole, like, immediate comp- friendly rivalry going on kind of thing. He doesn't know what good roast beef is. He doesn't know what good roast beef is. He doesn't know what trees are. You know, it's a whole thing. So I heard him talk and I was like, man, this guy's lived in California and Phoenix for the past like 17 years. And I still knew immediately that he was, he was one of us like the second he introduced himself. So it's, it's definitely more noticeable when you're away from it. You know, I'll never forget one of the first times, not one of the first times I went home after being here, but one of the first times I went home after being here for a, for a while, like when I was, you know, not going home every other month. You know, I was here for you know a solid six or seven months, and I went back to Boston, 
And I remember landing in the airport and uh, I'm standing there and I heard the person working at the donkeys, obviously, <laughs> call out to somebody that their coffee was ready. And it was like, Lodge Black, got a Lodge Black for Larry. And it was so, it was so grating that I wanted to fly back to Phoenix and run away. <laughs> I was like, man, these accents in the movies aren't over overdone like I always thought they were. That's what it no. sounds like to somebody who's not from here. Like, they got it right. I don't know. It's just, it's weird. I, I don't, and, and, you know, and I like to think that you and I don't have a strong accent. You know, we're not from the city. We're not from Southie. We're from, from Salem. You know, but we do have certain triggers and certain words that come out in that Boston accent. And it's it's funny. Anyway, we're 12 minutes into this. We've covered booze and accents. You want to get into cars? Yeah, get any Project Cow updates? Lots of them, guy. So I worked on my Dodge Colt again. And uh, we're going to stop the accent game now because it's real bad and we're going to lose listeners. So... Um, if we have any anyway. So what do I do in the cult this time? Can you run my, uh... oh, I worked on the tachometer. Yep. So I think I already talked about doing the side molding. Uh, I think you talked about, talk, I think you talked about, talked about. No, I talked about it. I talked about it already. Cause that's why I put the did picture you, up already. Did, Cause I talked about did, it. So did, you talked about Thinking, it. Man. You talked about, you talked about. It's done. It. It's done. It. I, I described what I was going to do and I, how it was going to work. So if it wasn't done then, it's done now. Um, I moved on to the interior. There has been a um, a sun. I think it's a sun tech, a super a super tech, super, super tech, super two. Is that sun pro part? I don't remember. I don't know. Probably is. It's a super tech two. It's like a two and a half inch little little tack um the car doesn't have a factory tack it has double round gauges on one side it has the uh it is a sun pro yes so on one side it has a speedometer and on the other side which would look like it should be a doesn't have a clock come on man it's an economy car looks like it would be a tachometer which i think it is well, in certain packages just not in the american market cars some Volvos are like that, where you'd have a speedometer, and then where an attack would be is a clock. Yeah, I, th- I think it's an option. Oh, package. RPMs, uh, it's twelve o'clock. Yeah, yeah. motor runs good at noon. Um, yeah. I, I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think it was offered in the United States on that generation Lancer to have a tachometer. I think it was always the temperature gauge and the fuel gauge, and a couple of idiot lights are in that cluster. So I had this little, a small, you know, I don't, I don't want a big five-inch tachometer. It's a little two and a half inch. Round one. Light? No, I don't have a five inch tack with a bright yellow shift light. Um, it's a little like two and a half inch black round gauge. It's on top of the steering column. Um, it's mounted in the old school way, which is zip ties, um, which I've since learned is an acceptable way to mount a tack. Okay. It's a common way to mount a tack, apparently, is a zip tie or um, a hose clamp. Because you don't really want to drill into your steering column. No. No, that's fine. So, you know, I, I put, it. yeah, I used, I used a black zip tie and I turned it so that the tab's in the bottom and I cut it short. So you can't, you wouldn't even know it's a zip tie if you didn't look at it. But I, I, I think it's probably the proper way to mount it. Um, if I found the right black colored clamp, I might use it too. But in the, for now, it's a, ta- it's a, it's a zip tie. Um, but anyway, it's been on the steering column for, I don't know, how, how long I own the car now? Five years? Yeah, I guess. 
So it came on the car. Wow. Actually, it came, it was in the glove box when I got the car. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that's where it came from. Yep. So I put it on the steering column five years ago with the intention of wiring it in, but you know, I'm if one I of put this here. Maybe I'll work on it. Yeah, right. But I'm one of these guys that, you know, I have the the parts in the car that look look like they do something, but don't actually do anything. So I never wired it in. Uh, it was one of those things that, you know, in my previous life, whenever I had time to work on the car, it was never a priority because there are other things going on. Like I had to do, mm-hmm. I had to do something mechanical or I had to do something else. And it just never came a priority. So I finally been catching up on all the little projects. And I said, well, you know, I'm going to do a wireless tack in. I'd never wired a tack in before, but how hard can it be? Right. Uh, I actually never done it. The answer is not hard. The hardest part was again, I'm, I'm still building up my tool collection out here. And the only electrical tools I had, I had some connectors and I had some heat shrink. Um, I had a, um, a very simple wire stripping clamping tool, um, grippers, but I didn't have like a te- I didn't have like a, um, like a test light or a functioning voltmeter. So I had one of those cheap, like, Hey, we'll give this to you for free at Harbor Freight. If you buy something voltmeters. So I was like, well, whatever I can, I can figure out which one of these is a power wire by, you know, probing it and turning the key on and seeing what happens to voltage. Right. Well, the screen didn't work, <laughs> so that didn't work. So I said, well, I'm going to have to put this project in the back burner and uh, I'll figure it out later. So I bought a new test light and I bought a nice, um, digital voltmeter, like a, I don't remember the brand name, but it's a brand name. So it's, it's a, not a Harbor Freight freebie or $5 one. It's like a, you know, a $45 voltmeter. It's a nice one. So I have that and I have the test light now, which all I really needed for this project obviously was a test light, but I figured I'm buying the stuff. I'll buy a nice voltmeter to have it. So I don't have to run out and get it next time. So I get the new test light, got the new voltmeter, took the dash apart a little bit, um, only because I couldn't find the wire, any of the wiring harness that would have keyed power. So the only wire I had access to was the fog lights that we put in, which we didn't put to keyed power. We just put it to power power. No, that was a, um, that switch was a, that's a ground interrupt switch. Okay. So what, instead of running, I like doing it this way, because instead of running power through the firewall where it can chafe and short, it's just Mm -hmm. a ground, so it can't short out. Regardless, there was no power. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. So that wire wouldn't work. So I had to find a wire that had power when it was keyed on. Um, and being a 1978 Colt, there's not much going on inside the car. Mm-hmm. So there aren't many wires that have power. Um, I Sometimes, did. Um, I, you can tap them off the rheostat. For the headlights? The interior lights, I mean? Yep. Okay. Well, that required taking more of the dash apart. We'll get to that okay. later. Um, what I did find was when whoever took the radio out of the car, took the radio out of the car, they tucked the harness up behind all the HVAC. So I thought there was no radio harness because there's never been a radio in the car either. Mm-hmm. Um, but I found the hidden radio harness. <laughs> there you go. So the radio harness obviously had a, uh, a constant a constant power line and a keyed power line. So I figured out which one was the keyed power and I tapped off to that line. So the tachometer only has four wires. Um, only three of which are required to make the thing work. So you have a ground wire. You have a power wire. You have the wire for the light, 
and you have the wire that attaches to on an older car, it hooks up to the negative side of the coil to get the pulse from the engine to figure out mm-hmm. the speed of the engine. So um, the only wire that had to go out of the car was that green wire to the coil, mm-hmm. which makes it a pretty clean install, actually. Yep. So I get the one wire. I use the same hole we made in the little grommet, the firewall for the fog light wire. Um, I ran it right through there and I ran it alongside the fog light wire and zipped that all to the side so you can't see it. And then just put a, um, like a spaded connector on the end to put on the you coil. Have to like, um, you have to like set it to a four cylinder? No. Attack. No, it works. It must have been already set up for it. Some Sometimes you have to like. They call it a pill like, that goes inside yeah. of it. But no, I, I'm assuming whoever bought the part bought it for that car and yeah. already installed that piece. So, I mean, I turned it on and it idled about a thousand until it warmed up and it's idling right 800. So I figure it's right. You know, it, it sounds right. Yeah. I'm going off what the car sounds like and what it's reading. And it seems to read correctly. So the um, only other like trick thing I've done. So like hooking up like boost gauges, you know, aftermarket ones in like the town and the client is you, you figure out the wire for the dash lights that coming that is coming off the rheostat. Mm-hmm. So you tap off of that. And that way, when you turn on the dash lights, they work. And then when you dim them, it also dims your aftermarket gauge. So the plan is, so I've wired up the green wire to the coil. I wired the red wire, the power wire to the radio harness. Um, and I ran the black wire to a, a bolt under the dash that holds the dash in place because it's got a nice ground. It was actually, I used a, a factory ground to use it on the same bolt. Yep. So I figured that was a pretty strong ground. So um, the only wire I didn't hook up was the white wire, which is the light for the unit itself um, because I did want to hook it up to the rheostat. And the reason mm-hmm. I didn't is because it requires taking the dash apart. <laughs> so I have plans and a reason to take the dash apart in the future. So I figured I just I left that wire its full length and just zip tied it up behind the dash, so that I can wire it up when I pull the dash apart. I didn't want to pull the whole dash apart; just hook up that wire, put it back together, and do the other project in the future when I know I have a project coming up that's going to require taking the dash out. So I said I'm not gonna I'm not gonna wire up the light right now. I'll do that later. So, but it works. It works great. You know, it's I don't know what red line is in the car. You can set the little like red. Um, arrow where you want the red line to be. So I put it at 5,000. You know, I'm not going to run the thing over 5,000 RPM anyway, right? doesn't make any power up that high, so I might as well not. So, but it works, you know, around town. It's, you know, between two and three grand in traffic, and that's about right, and everything seems to work on it. And it's nice to have it actually functioning in front of you. It's a it's a neat, hmm. little, neat little thing. You know, for a manual transmission car without a tack, you're always like, You've been driving it long enough. You know when to shift. You know what it feels like. You know where you should be. But it's nice to know what the engine's turning at what speed. It's mm-hmm. nice to know where you're at. So my father told me that, you know, attack adds five horsepower. So it's like a sticker. Sure. It's one of those one of those show mods, I guess, if you're into that. But I think that if a car doesn't have a tack, you're not putting a five-inch tack on your dash with a shift light. You're allowed to put a small tack like this. It, it reminds me actually very much of like a 60s muscle car style tack. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of them had them factory on the steering column or factory on the center console in front of the shifter. So it's 
I, I kind of have an homage to like, I'm, I'm building this car to be a very period correct car. You know, this car came out in the early 70s in other overseas. So everything I'm doing in the car is going to be that 70s style. And this, mm-hmm. the super tack, the little tack is a very 70s style part. And it really fits into the the aesthetic that I'm going for. So I'm, uh, I'm pretty excited about it. Cool. Yeah. Dumb projects, but they're good projects, right? Did you drive it somewhere? I did, actually. I went, um, I met up with a couple friends at the show last night. Um, Adventure Driven Design, Josh, mm-hmm. and uh, Gearhead Project, Brian. Mm-hmm. Well, we were working on Brian's Montero, which is affectionately known as Fezzik. Yeah, which is, I think is a 98. So it's, it's a one year before same yours. As, yeah, but same body. Yep, it's the two point five. Yeah, the two point, the Gen two point five with the wide blister fenders, and it's a white over his gray is, with a gray interior. His is white. Yeah, the the other color they made because it feels like they're all either beige or white. Yep. It's rare to see like any other color. Yeah. yeah, any other colors. So it was neat. It was kind of a, a gathering of vintage Mitsu, um, because you know Fezic was there. Um, Josh's first gen long wheelbase, the blue one. Uh, it's uh, Pacific Coast Blue is the Instagram name to follow that truck. Mm-hmm. Was there? That's a neat truck. Uh, it's a I think Pacific Coast Blue is the name of the color, um, and it's got a white roof and uh, like Western Western alloys, like the the finned aluminum ones, with some oversized square. Turbines. Yeah, turbine style with some oversized square halos on top of the bumper. Like it's it's a good looking truck. Um, I had my Colt. And there's always a smattering of gallants around their shop because the man who owns the shop has a gallant rally car thing. Mm-hmm. So he's got a bunch of VR4s. So there was a, a VR4 parked out there with us too. So it's kind of neat. Well, vintage Mitsu hangs are always fun, right? Um, we were doing... Uh, he was upgrading the reverse lights on his, on Fezzik, the 98 Montero. Um, we upgraded the bulbs in the dash to LEDs. Ooh, yeah, like the ones in the compass and the altimeter and all that stuff. Oh, those are a pain in the butt. Uh, yeah, that was my task. So, yeah, so I had to do that when I bought those junkyard ones. Mm-hmm. I put the whole thing together, and the yeah, the, the compass worked, but the bulbs were burned out, so I had to take it all apart again. Yeah, so if you ever swap them out, just change the bulbs when you have it out because it's a pain to take it apart. It's a pain to change the bulbs too because we had these like cheap Chinese LEDs. Yeah. And so the way it works is it's a, you put the bulb in the hole and then you turn it 90 degrees and it locks in place. Yeah. The first problem arose when the bulb was too big to fit in the hole. Yeah. And it wasn't the bulb that was too, but it wasn't the base of the bulb. It was the actual like printed circuit board the LED is on was bigger than the base that it went into. So I did the old um, model car trick where I took a number 11 hobby blade yeah. and just spun it back and forth inside the hole in the circuit board yeah. to open it up just enough to get the thing through. Once that was done, we get the thing in the hole and seated and you can't turn it 90 degrees because the thickness of the circuit board was too much for the little lock tabs and the bulbs. You know, I want to do some LEDs in mine, but I don't 
one. Yeah. It, just, it like, seems annoying to do all the LEDs, but well, I can tell like, you how I'd annoying it is. Them over <laughs> so that the, I'd love to do them over so it's orange instead of the weird white green. That's what we did. We used like a red LED. Yeah, because so it looks really cool. Trucks, the early trucks had orange, and then the later yep. ones had the, the silly greenish look. The orange looks way cooler. Anyway, it looks really good. Um, but the managed to get it in. What I had to do is I had to shave with that same number 11 blade a little bit off of the mounting tab on the LED itself. Mm-hmm. And actually, I had to take apart the gauge itself. So mm-hmm. I opened the gauge so you can get to mm-hmm. the bulbs. And then they're in a deep like cavern in the back of the gauge. Yep. So we couldn't get any tools in there to do anything. So I had to split the front of the compass out of that case. Yeah. And then it opened up just the um, circuit boards so I could directly work on the circuit board to do it. So it got it done, but it was not simple. <laughs> no. So, and while I was doing that, um, Josh from Adventure Driven Design, um, obviously they have those bumper kits. You have one for your truck. Yeah, I need to put mine on. So he, he was mocking that up on the front of the truck. Um, and then he welded it, spot welded it on the truck took it off the truck and brought it outside on a welding bench and uh, welded the whole thing together. So that was neat to see. Um, I have some tips for you when you do it after watching it. Yeah. So that was kind of neat. Um, I don't know if you remember looking at it. There's like these relief cuts in the corners, like the outside yeah, corners. Folded, the outside corners, the points. So the reason for that is yeah. so that you can bend the bumper a little bit to compensate for... 25 or 30 years of driving the truck in traffic. Okay. Um, Brian's truck in particular, you know, I don't know if you remember like a year and a half or so ago. Yeah, he hit the rear. He got rear-ended by a Camry and pushed into an Accord. Yeah. So his truck isn't what I'd call square. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like the frame's not bent. It doesn't crab walk down the road, but it's, 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 uh, let's call it seasoned. It's a, it's a seasoned frame. Yeah. So it wasn't 100% square with the bottom of the, the sheet metal in the front, the front body panel there. So yeah. what happens is he mounted the center section of the bumper. Yep. And then he laid the edges you know, one side at a time over the edge of the truck and then used some metal clamps to hold it in place. And then he could move the two sides individually to match the curvature of the fenders. So you could have an even gap on both sides. Mm-hmm. Um, and then clamp it down harder. Then he put his spot welds in, and then he would manipulate the corners, those little relief cuts, so you could move it just a little bit more to match, again, the flow of the side of the, the, side of the truck. Yeah. Um, and then he took a hammer and kind of knocked him down a little bit, and then spot welded everything where he wanted it, took the whole assembly off, like I said, and then welded it outside. So it, uh, it didn't take a whole lot of time. I think maybe two hours, all told, he built the bumper. So, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously he designed the bumper. He should know how to build it pretty quickly, I'd assume, but <laughs> so <laughs> might take you a little bit longer. My truck was the prototype truck for that bumper. Okay. So it should just fall right on, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, I should have <laughs> just had it put on before I sent it to me, but yeah. whatever. But anyway, it it's, a, it's, a, it's neat to watch. It's a cool product. It's like a super high quality product. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna, yeah. I'm going to have to figure out how to weld it together. Grind it all down smooth. Yep. And then I want to paint it with that Duraback. I have the silver Duraback. So to match like a the, that textured silver. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want it to be black like a 
So like a, he also was showing us this like over fender, over bumper kit, I should say. Kind of like a, you know, some of the Jeeps have like that huge piece that comes up the front. See, I like that too. I want to, I want something that would go yes. over the light the front. Yes. I want to add that to it. So I know what to buy now. <laughs> so yeah. have Josh tell you yeah. what the kit is and he'll send you the link for it. It's like 60 bucks. I think I know what it is because I, I saw it. Somebody else has it. It's like on Summit. It's like a hoop. And it's like $60 hoop. Well, there's, there's a $40 hoop and there's a $60 one, which comes with ones that go diagonally down the sides too. Oh, to make okay. them go kind of in front of the headlights. Yeah, uh, that's, that's what I want. That's the cooler looking one. That's the one I want. So it's, yeah. it's really the look, it'll end up looking like a, um, whatchamacallit? Uh, the ARB style? ARB. Yeah. Yeah. yeah very similar uh, but style. I, but I don't want it to be black like an ARB. I want it to be silver. Mm-hmm. The bottom of the truck is silver. I think it'll look way cooler. Nope, I understand completely. But anyway, no, it looks it looks really neat, and those bars give like more opportunities for mounting lights and stuff. So, and they just look cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I've never wanted a second gen. Now I kind of want a second gen just because of that bumper. So I don't. I'll still buy a first gen, but that's beside the point. But no, it's it's a it's very neat a neat kit, and uh, it looks really good, and uh, it went together pretty simply once you know what you're doing. You know, he had a. Uh, he had a level and make sure things were level. And, you know, again, when you're talking an older vehicle like that, the eyeball test is more important than anything else. So what I didn't know about the bumper is, is a notch cut in the back mm-hmm. where it goes up against the car. And the reason for that is if God forbid you do get in an accident and you hit something with that bumper, it's notched. So it doesn't take out the front body panel. Oh, okay. So a lot of the bumpers you see, you know, if they get hit, they'll take out headlights and fenders. And this is designed so that if it unfortunately does get hit, it doesn't take out that whole front sheet metal. It goes up around it. So hmm. that's kind of neat. Neat little engineering touch right there. So oh, the, the product is super high quality. And I'm, I'm excited that's built by somebody that, uh, that we know and are friends with. And, you know, I wish him the best in his future endeavors with that. So, um, I had a neat conversation the other day with uh, a gentleman who's in the family out here, Mm -hmm. Um, lives up north in the state. Uh, He's a retired wheel engineer. Yeah. Um, It's uh, so Naomi's son's fiance's grandfather. Okay. He used to, he owned his own wheel companies um, and he designed like wagon wheels for the wild west, like. Uh, yeah, he made he made the wagon wheel. Okay. Oh, he, he made the wagon wheel. Yeah, like uh, no, I was being funny, like a wooden wagon wheel. So no, 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 no. His his company was the one that provided the centers for all the manufacturers. Oh. The company that he owned, he designed that wheel that you see on everything. Hmm. Super cool. <laughs> so he used to make them for all the trailer manufacturers, the off road manufacturers. Um, he worked directly with American racing and rocket racing. And um, there were a bunch of other American wheel manufacturers he named that he worked with in the past um, doing steel wheels and alloy wheels. Um, he's the original designer apparently of, do you know the typical eighties wheel that was like 10 holes around the center and then it had yeah. like the 24 rivets around the edge. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a Larry original design. Huh? He designed that wheel. <laughs> so um, he still has a full machine shop in his house. 
where he could he could produce a wheel tomorrow if you wanted him to. So we're gonna take a ride up there at some point and chat with him, and I'll have hopefully an interview to go on the podcast with him at some point because that's a pretty cool story. He was involved in the wheel industry throughout the '60s, '70s, and '80s. So it's a it's a really neat really neat story. He would he would start a wheel company and he would build it to a point where a major manufacturer would buy it out, and then he would start another one. So he oh. he started and sold four different wheel companies throughout the years. Interesting. So, yeah, and he ended making hot rod smoothies. That was his last company, like wheel of antique style. Yeah. So that's really really it was I had a, I didn't learn this until it was like five minutes before he was leaving, <laughs> so I didn't have a long time to talk to him about it. But I'm excited to talk to him about it in the future. So that was a neat little side little side story. But anyway, going back to the to the Montero. Um, we got most of the stuff done. Um, we didn't finish wiring in his new backup lights cause he forgot some of the equipment to do it with. So that's no big deal. Um, and then we did a new TPS sensor cause he's taking a road trip in the truck soon. Um, one of the most frustrating things that can ever happen when working on a car is, insta- yeah. is installing a new part and having a hard time calibrating it. And then learning that the new part that you installed and spent hours calibrating was just broken from the factory. Oh. Yeah. Why did you do a throttle sensor? Because this old one wasn't reading properly. It would hang up. It would hang open. Um, And it wasn't reading the full sweep that it's supposed to. Hmm. So he replaced it with an aftermarket one. um, Which Yeah, check engine light or not. He he did have a check engine light. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the problem. So anyway, we spent too, way too long trying to figure out, you know, why this thing wouldn't work. And then we finally took it off and just tested it, like bench tested it, and it didn't work. Huh. So the continuity between the pins that you're supposed to, like, test wasn't mm-hmm. showing properly. It's supposed to go into open line when you have um, pin one and pin two, I think, hooked up to the multimeter. Mm-hmm. And it would not go to open line. There was no point where it was considered open. So something was crossed inside the connector itself so frustrating to say the least but everything else is done except for that so the truck's pretty neat i'm uh he just finished he lifted it he did the same thing you did yeah um did rear springs and actually he changed his he did torsion bars he did new torsion bars in the front he didn't just clock them so yeah, yeah I, didn't, I didn't i don't know what springs I he did i think he did different springs yeah. in there, though well, well, Emu, i think he did yeah. and what brand yeah. were yours dobinson's dobinson's okay I knew it was a different brand. Yeah, I went. I figured I'd try mine without doing the the torsions yet to save a little money because you could you can get away with it if they're okay. And mine seemed to be okay. Yep. So they actually seemed better because I turned them up. Like they were probably a little weak, and just cranking them stiffens them up. Yeah. So. Well, no, it seemed uh, it, it the, his truck looks good. I mean, I'm I'm a fan of it. Yeah. Yeah. Same lift. I tried to on Instagram. I tried to get him to take off the sway bar. He didn't want to, but. I'm like, all right. Well, he's got a lot of highway miles coming up, so maybe that's why. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't notice the difference. Yeah, <laughs> taking on ramps, it didn't change anything for me. But also, I've. I don't know if the old main emos are stiffer or not than the Coney heavy tracks. So, well, I also think that a good set of a, the good set of shocks probably helps a lot too. Where, you know, you're not trying to build a sports car here, so you're not going to be throwing the thing into a turn hard. So, <laughs> maybe it's not that big. Well, he's got the 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 old main emo shocks too. So okay, the, the full kit matched to that. Yeah. That's neat. Well, I didn't get to drive it or anything, so I couldn't compare it to yours, but it was definitely looks good. Again, it makes me have that like pinch of like, 
I could drive a second gen. As much as I love my first gens. So, not that I have any trucks out here for off-roading, but if I did, it's good to know that the entire community of off-road Monteros is literally three minutes down the street. Mm-hmm. That makes it nice. So, have you got any uh, project cars, Andrew? Uh, nope, because they uh, salted the roads the other day, so Mm-mm-mm. it is uh, it is over. It's officially winter. Mm-hmm. You made it pretty far. I mean, December is pretty good. Oh, and it's gonna it's gonna pour rain again, so it'll wash off. Because I still need to move some stuff around, but because I've been working on cleaning out the garage again, which I did actually finish. I had a workbench that I st- started to build like four years ago. I never put a top on it. I kind of built it out of like recycled two by fours that came out of crappy shelves that were in the garage. And I didn't really did much with it. It was just kind of collecting junk in the basement. Um, so I moved it into the garage and because I was looking at it, I was like, I think that's the perfect size for a tire rack. And it turns out it is like the, the 17 inch wheels on both from both the Subaru and the all track fit perfectly in it. Excellent. The 15 inch wheel from the Glant too small. So I think I have to build it out with a little bit of two by fours or they just sit horizontally unlike other wood. Okay. But I used like really cheap Harbor Freight casters like years ago when I put it together mm-hmm. and one of them was like not having it. Like, you know, <laughs> see it was like failing. So I got to go buy some, some better casters. I bought a set of casters on Amazon that long ago and uh, mm-hmm. they were surprisingly heavy duty <laughs> for not a lot of money. Yeah. Get like a set of four for like twenty bucks. Yeah, I was gonna say it was something like eighteen dollars. And they're like pretty heavy duty ones. Yep. And considering you only need to move it like a couple times, they're probably fine. Yep. Um Yeah, I'm actually in the market for a rolling cart now as my next garage purchase. Harbor Freight so, rolling cart. Or yeah, you want probably. you don't want right? you want just a regular rolling cart? I don't need anything anything heavy duty. I just want something I can load some tools up on the oh, garage okay. and push yeah. it to the backyard. So what I would do is get, um, don't get a metal one. Try to get a, a plastic I one. I want to get a plastic one for the sound. Yes. They're quiet. <laughs> the metal one is like, <laughs> like it's like yeah, exactly. the louder like you might as well. Well, the problem is you, you have well. metal tools sitting in a metal cart going over concrete. So it's just not, it's not quiet. No. So it's, yeah, I'd, I'd like to find a good plastic back, right? The loudest thing on earth. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to find a good plastic one. That'll be nice. It, it doesn't matter how smooth the garage floor is, a, a floor jack and even like the new aluminum nice ones are like so loud. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Actually, that's another purchase I need to make is a nice, a nice aluminum jack. So don't buy the Craftsman one. No, I've I mean, had two of those and they both are garbage. Yeah. I don't think they still, I don't even know if they still make them anymore, yeah. but don't bother it. No, I'm just going to buy the one from, from Harbor Freight that's get pretty decent reviews yeah it's like 200 bucks but it works well so whatever anyway there's a lot of garage news coming up in my future so stay tuned for that but not yet just work with my my little two car right now i said one of the best things i got for the floor jack was just the the hockey pucks with the slots got in them yep um really saves the pinch welds it's assuming my cars have pinch welds yeah, even if they don't, you can flip it to the other side. Yeah. Or I have one that's like kind of beat up, so it's a little bit wider. And it fits around the beat up pinch weld, so they don't get worse. 
actually that's one of the next projects on the on the blue colt is to fix the pinch weld in the driver's side because mm. somebody at some point jacked it up on the pinch weld in the wrong way and it bent uh, or the car is just low and it got caught on something at some point i'm not sure exactly how it happened so i need to uh to bang that piece back down straight so because you can see it from the side of the car and it, mm. it bothers me because it makes the it looks like a bend in the bottom of the car which is how it's designed but we'll get there one step at cool. a time like i said the tack was a long time coming and i'm trying to like get at least out in the yard you know once or twice a week to do something small to the car so small improvements okay. make a big difference in the end not bad yep anyway uh let's see no more project car updates small car news we had a whole conversation almost a whole episode talking about the ford bronco yeah it's not coming out for a while now really yeah so it's supposed to come out in spring right and now they're saying end of the year manufacturing delays covid covid i guess the problem was the uh the roof materials because they're they're soft tops or they're like removable hard tops. Um, the companies that supply the roof materials are the ones causing the delay. So mm. I guess Ford obviously sounds like they're not building that part in house. Must be being outsourced somewhere, or even the materials. I'm not sure. Um, but sounds like we're not going to see the Bronco for a while. They, they got us all excited to see it in the roads, and they gave us the Bronco Sport, which is out, which nobody wanted. Um, but now it's uh, we're gonna delay waiting for the the actual Bronco to come out. So, have you seen a Bronco Sport yet? No. Yeah, they're out. I probably wouldn't notice it because it kind of looks like a Ford Escape, doesn't it? No, it's more square. It, it looks like a smaller version of, a, of the new Land Rover. Um, obviously, it's not comparable at all to the Land Rover in anything but the basic shape. Um, but it has that like very squared off look. It's it's a decent looking little truck. I saw a Ford one the other day. Um, it's funny, our, our local dealer here made the news the other day, uh, all the automotive news, I should say, because, uh, so Peoria Ford, um, marked up the new Bronco sports as like an automatic dealer markup. So the Bronco sport listed for like $26,000. Yeah. Fair enough. Do you want to know what the one on the dealer lot there was? Uh, no, it's a scummy dealer. Let's put it this way. A new GT 350 is marked to $326,000. Let's do. All right. So 55,000. 122. What? For a Bronco Sport? (laughs) Yeah. I think somebody there got their, uh, got their messages mixed and they thought it was the new Bronco. Um, apparently they have since changed that policy and put it back down to list price because nobody wanted them. So yeah. Yeah. They're just going to sit on them? Yeah. Yeah, that was my theory. Like, well, they don't want to sell this. They want to keep the first one delivered to them, maybe. Maybe that's their thought. But, yeah, no, they have, like, a GT, maybe GT500. That's a big one, right? They have a GT500 that's, like, 320 grand on their lot down there. So, yeah. Big negative press for Peoria Ford in Arizona. <laughs> but, yes, I'd like your $26,000 crossover plus 100 grand, please. Yeah. yeah. Not sure what that's about, but anyway, so yeah, the uh, Ford Bronco will not come out until the end of the year now, so we will not see it adorned with all the Jeep accessories the right away. End of next year. End of next year. Yeah, end of next year. 
So we will, we will not see worry. one parked amongst the Jeeps with all the ephemera all over it until early 2022, it sounds like, probably. So, oh well. That means that that vehicle will probably be the official vehicle of SEMA next year, right? Mm-hmm. If it comes out at the end of the year, all the SEMA builds will get theirs a couple months early and provide we have a SEMA next year. Mm-hmm. That'll probably be the, uh, the the big vehicle there. So, anyway, I get no other news today. I get no other car stuff. I get no other nothing. So, I say we make that a podcast. Sounds like a wrap. Excellent. So, as always, follow us on Off Top of Podcast. Oh, I do have Facebook. exciting news. Oh, okay. Just to interrupt. Go ahead. Go ahead. Scale project cars or scale cars because it's not really a project sure. car, it's a diecast. The company. Listen, the company. The bit- Scale project cars. Scale project cars. Um, the company that created a lot of the cars that we've been excited about lately, the INNO64, mm-hmm. has officially released, drumroll, um, a flat body Starion race car. Well, Yep. So they hit the market in Malaysia. Um, I have one on order. I haven't gotten more than one yet. Um so far, they've released it in the factory-backed Mitsubishi Rally Yacht colors and the Australian touring car Ducalax paint systems, um, which is like a multicolored white base with a few other colors atop of it. So super excited about that. And uh, I will have at least one of each in the collection because reasons. So I just hope they do all of the touring cars from back then because there was a, a Perrier car um, there's a BF Goodrich car and there's a Earl's Fittings car so we need to have the full gamut of flat body touring cars from the 80s so and maybe they'll do a rally car version of it too who knows I'm excited to see what comes out but it's neat that these companies are doing new toolings of these 80s cars so much excite. Anyway, now you get that Andrew, sorry. All right. As I was so rudely interrupted. Yes. As always, you can follow us on uh, Auto Off Topic on Facebook. Sorry, Auto Off Topic Podcast on Facebook. See, I lost my rhythm, Brad. Sorry. Auto Off Topic on Instagram, Auto Off Topic on Twitter. You can follow me on Instagram, Raced in Anger. And Brad, where can they find you? Oh, T S I S S 350 on Instagram. T S 350. Actually, when you say it like that, it makes sense. <laughs> All right. Keep cars analog and aim for the roses. Oh, yeah.